Welcome to the Pomona Christian Church Podcast. For more information about Pomona Christian Church, please visit us at PomonaChristian.com or find us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Pomona Christian. So as we've looked at this series tomorrow, and as we said, you know, tomorrow always seems like it's, it's an easier time, that there are less obstacles, things that are hard now, for some reason will become easier tomorrow or, or next week or even next year. And we've looked at things we kind of put off. One is putting a, making a decision uh, to give your life to Jesus. That's when people, they can know, they can believe, but sometimes it's just easier later. Or baptism, taking that step to be baptized into Christ or to take our spiritual growth seriously and take steps we know we need to do in order to mature, or even one of the hard ones, to forgive, to take that step of forgiving people for things that they've done. And the last one we're going to look at is dealing with my past, and that's something when we look at things in our past and trying to deal with it, we can say, you know, that's something that'll be better off doing tomorrow or later. I was thinking of a time when I was in high school, I was either a junior or a senior. So my brother, he was in middle school and he was the musician in the family and he played guitar and he's he's pretty good. And my job as the oldest brother to do a good job was to antagonize him. I mean, that, that, that's what a good big brother does. And so I took his guitar, and I pretty much knew, and that's about all I could do, because you just put your fingers across the cord, and then I could make the sound with my mouth as well to make it especially annoying. And so I took his guitar and was doing that, and he was chasing me, and we kind of had a circular pattern in the house, and I was the athletic one, so, uh, you know, he wasn't as fast. And so finally, he just got really mad and kicked this hole in the sheetrock. And then everything just stopped. Like, oh no, what are we going to do? And I knew we're in trouble. But he thinks he's in trouble because he kicked the hole in the sheetrock. So I was like, so Lucas, here's what you do. You know, this is the account we're going to come up with. Okay, you've done something serious here. You've kicked a hole in the sheetrock, but you're not, you know, completely gone yet. We're going to say you are running up the stairs from the basement. And as you turned the corner, you lost control of your guitar. It flew through the air and landed in the wall and knocked a hole in the sheetrock. So he's like, yeah, yeah. And they're like, I'm just thinking of you, bro. You know, (laughs) not that he never crossed his mind. Like, I'd probably be in trouble for being the older brother who's doing this and drove him to this point. But oh, well, he got away with everything anyway. You know, I was the obvious one. So uh, we parents get home and like, yeah, there's a hole in the wall. Here's the story. My brother went up, lost control of the guitar, put a hole in the wall. And my grandpa was there that week. And he's like, well, I'll fix that up. And he just kind of fixed it. And like later, we're like, we actually got away with it. Like, not another word. Like, that was it. Like, and I thought that's kind of a hard-to-believe story, but hook, line, and sinker. Hooray. So finally, a few years ago, I told my mom the story of what really happened the day of the sheetrock. And, you know, we were both in our 40s at that point. So, you know, statute of limitations is gone for holes in sheetrock from the 80s. You know, that, that's clear. And when she, ta- she said, boy, I always thought something was funny with that story. 
Like it, there was always something that seemed a little off about it. And I was like, yep. And you know, even though it was funny and she laughed about it, and even my brother can laugh about it now, even though there was really not much to resolve, it really felt good to get that out there. Like even just telling her, because I thought it was funny, but it felt good, even that thing that we did back then, it, it felt good to like, hey, now, now that's out in the open and I'm still not getting in trouble for it. So maybe that was the way to handle it. But when it comes down to dealing with our past, there are a lot of things that, that are painful. So we just, we just want to bury or, or they're difficult. So we'll hit the snooze button and push it off till later. And we'll say, you know, we don't really need to dredge that up. That's a, a long time ago or something I did a long time ago or something I said. And some, unfortunately, they look at their past and when they consider that in their relationship with God, they just think they're, they're too far gone. That God would never want me. God could never forgive me. If people really knew what I did or what I said. And I've had people say that, that they come to church, they think, oh man, everybody, they've got it together, their lives are good. It's like, I tell them, everybody's got their problems. No matter how good they look here or now, we all struggle, we all have sin, we all have issues. And to understand that God's working in all of us and on all of us. So we're going to look at Luke 19 and a man who had a past. And in this account, Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. But on his way to Jerusalem, he goes through Jericho. And that's the city that you remember from the Old Testament that had the large walls, but it's not what it once was. But it's on the way. And so Jesus, on his way into Jericho, he heals this man that was born blind. And so the crowd's already anticipating seeing Jesus, but now that he's done this and the crowd really builds. And it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So Zacchaeus is this man, I kind of really, you look at his life and outside of his wealth, you, you feel sorry for him. Not only did he have a name that nobody could ever spell, you know, uh, you know, he he was short. He even has his own theme song. If you remember the song, if you grew up as a kid in church, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And they don't just say it once, they say it again, and a wee little man was he. Like, rub that in. Like, how do you feel as a man? That's your theme song. You know, hey, Zacchaeus, you're a wee little man, and a, and a wee little man are you. Like, good grief. You know, the heightism is ripe in that song as people judge him. But... Zacchaeus, I'm sure, always faced obstacles, you know, and I can tell short jokes because, you know, I identify as a short person. Um, but for all his prosperity and all the money that he'd made, he has a lot going against him. One, he's the chief tax collector. And basically what the Romans would do with their taxes is they would take a certain area and they would hand it out to a bidder. And somebody would bid on that tax route and that would be the chief tax collector. And then he would subcontract the regular tax collectors to go work areas. And basically the Romans, they just wanted a certain amount of money from this area. And they didn't care how you got it, and they didn't care how much you got, as long as they got what they expected. And so the tax collectors didn't just take what was right and enough to make a living. They took excessive amounts on every level, and the people were taxed to death. So just like us, they didn't like paying taxes, but these were excessive, and basically the people made it up. So you can imagine how much you'd like taxes. Then. And on top of that, it was going to the Romans, this country that had invaded them and taken them over and was occupying their land. 
you can imagine how they were seeing that he was a traitor. Not only just a traitor, but he was a traitor not just to Israel, but he was a traitor to God. And so people not only hated Zacchaeus, I'm sure as the community, they despised Zacchaeus. And so he's got all this wealth, but no one really cares. And he doesn't have any friends. And I'm sure he's to that point that he's had what he thought he wanted, and it hasn't added up to really anything. And it hasn't brought him the joy. He had what people thought they want most, but he wasn't happy. And I think we see that over and over, that, oh, if I just had this and this, I'd be happy, and we can see time and time again, it doesn't work. I think Zacchaeus probably had party friends, that if he had parties and a meal, there are people that would show up just to get the free things, but then they were gone. And so then it says in verse 4, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. So here's Zacchaeus. The crowd is lined up to see Jesus. I'm sure that can, that's a testimony to how how much people anticipated seeing Jesus. And in Jericho, they'd probably just heard of Jesus, but hadn't seen him, not their opportunity. And so they've lined up. The whole city's probably lined up, and nobody is about to let Zacchaeus get through the line. And so I'm sure, you know, they've kind of bumped him out of the way and closed ranks when he's there. So Zacchaeus does something that's very undignified, especially for a man, a Jewish man in that time, day and age, and he runs. You know, it already feels weird, I know, if I'm in, the, in Walmart and I've got to get out quick and I'm in a hurry and I, you know, I kind of trot, but I don't want a full-out sprint because that would be weird, so I'm going to fast walk or, or trot through Walmart. So it's kind of the same today, but especially then. And then he climbs a tree. You know, I don't ever know that I've seen a grown man climb a tree. That, that'd be kind of a, a weird thing. You'd probably be calling the police if you saw a grown man climbing a tree that something is wrong with this guy, or you expect you're on an episode of Cops or Live PD or something like that, you know, there's a man in a tree. But Zacchaeus then climbs the tree. He's so eager to see Jesus looking for something that he runs and then he climbs the tree. And then as Jesus comes by, and there are all these people who just want to see him, who all want a piece of Jesus, he tells him to come down, that he has to go to his house. And it says Zacchaeus comes in and he welcomes Jesus gladly. I can't imagine the joy in Zacchaeus that of all the people in this city, all the town, that not only does Jesus know his name, but he says, you know what, I'm going to your house. And I'm sure they had a meal. Now that's a big step. To go and eat at somebody's house was a sign of approval. It was a sign of fellowship, of being together with them. And that is something that people wouldn't do with Zacchaeus. I'm sure he didn't have people wanting to eat at his house or even eat with him. And I think we can find comfort in that. Because very few of us are the influential ones. We've all at one time been an outcast or been overlooked or or forgotten kind of like Zacchaeus was, but Jesus in this moment picks out Zacchaeus of all the people. Now, I'm sure the crowd, they see it differently. It says in verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. 
This isn't just, hey, Zacchaeus is a sinner, but this is, he's associating, he's putting his lot in, like he's having fellowship, he's partnering with. It's much more than just what we would see it in our culture today. But you can see he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. I'm sure if some had the chance or knew what Jesus was about to do, they would have pulled him aside and said, hey, Jesus, you know, this Zacchaeus guy is a traitor. He's turned his back on God. He's turned his back on the country. Nobody wants anything to do with him, and rightfully so. So it'd probably be best if you did the same. But Jesus knew that. And he, I'm sure he knew what they would say. And, you know, I think through history, the they's who've muttered have kept a lot of people from Jesus. And that's kind of what they's do. They, they kind of mutter, they talk amongst themselves, and they always come out as, well, you know what they say, and people know what they say because they've just been kind of grumbling, and it's usually something that's selfish or something that's good for them. But look at the results. And here's the thing, we don't have the conversation between verse 7 and verse 8 of what Jesus and Zacchaeus talked about. But it says, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come or sorry, verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. You look at the career that he's made, the money he's amassed, not only is he giving up half, but he's willing to make restitution up to four times. And again, we don't know what they said and what Jesus had talked about But what we see here in Zacchaeus is repentance. And that's why Jesus' response in verse 9 is, says, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save what was lost. Notice that affirmation. Not only has salvation come, he says this man too is a son of Abraham. He's saying he's a Jew. He's an Israelite. He's part of God's kingdom. And then he says his purpose, for the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. And Zacchaeus was lost. He'd committed his life to making money, to holding on, trying to get life. Hey, if I have possessions, if I have things, if I have money, I'll be happy. And so Zacchaeus goes from a guy who is basically stealing, legally stealing from people, from his greed of taking advantage to people, to generous Because, again, he's not just making up for the things he's done wrong. The Old Testament law, you'd make up restitution on most things four times. But he's still giving half of what he owns to the poor. That He goes from this life of emptiness to this life of extravagant generosity, of giving half of what he owns because he came to know Jesus and to see what Jesus is all about. And the gospel is clear that we're all like Zacchaeus. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. And God has come seeking us. And that's the good news that he came to save us. But not just us on the inside who have made the decision, but also those on the outside. Those that also we kind of see and we kind of mutter. But what Zacchaeus did, and we see it here, because it's not just a word, it's, it's an action. It's the word repent. And that is not a word we will see or use outside of church and Scripture. That's not a word the world uses. You will not see it in a news broadcast. You will not see it from a politician. It's sometimes something people think, repent. Maybe it's some guy with a a signboard that says, repent on it. 
Because our culture today, it's, there's really not a repentance. People will apologize and they're sorry they got caught or they, they're sorry they said something and so they're getting canceled. So they're, they're sorry they might confess that they did something. But oftentimes you don't see a repentance. You don't see a real change. That people are just sorry they got caught or sorry they're in a bad spot and so they're going to do what they have to to fix it. But repentance is not just being sorry for the sin, but it's a change of behavior. A change Because you see these people, they end up in the same situation again and again. And what repentance is, is this change of heart and mind that leads to a change in our viewpoint, in our direction of life, which ultimately affects our behavior. It's basically a U-turn. And oftentimes we think, well, someone has to be pretty sinful to repent. But again, even there are very moral people that on a comparison standard or moral than a lot of people that don't know Jesus, that don't know the Lord, but there still needs to be repentance because if we're living life for ourselves and our own purposes, when we encounter Jesus and we make that decision to follow him to repent, it's a change in the purpose of our life, a change in why we're living and why we do what we do. We start living for him, and that brings a change. And no matter how moral we are, we have sinned. So Zach goes from this greedy, you know, kind of conniving thief to this guy that's exceedingly generous. And you know what? He's not just feeling bad. And sometimes that's what we think repentance is too. It's, well, I feel bad about it. But we can oftentimes feel bad about something, feel sorry, and then we end up right back doing the same thing or saying the same thing that we were, that made we felt sorry about. We ultimately have to change how we feel and think about sin, whether it's ours or or someone else's. It's even sometimes people we know and love, if they do something, we kind of excuse it and and we forget to see it for what it is so that we can help them in love. You're no Christian, and we have a thing today that people want to identify, I'm a Christian, but I'm this Christian, and they find their identity in their sin or their behavior or their sexual orientation, so they attach it to their identity. And that's a way to excuse it, to identify with a behavior, a tendency, or an orientation. And somehow then put it out of the gospel. I'm a Christian, but I'm not changing this, or I'm not seeing this the way Scripture defines it. And that's not to say that even as believers we won't sin or we don't, won't struggle or we won't have different struggles than other people, but it means we live our lives the best we can according to God's Word and His purposes. You know, we can look at King David. He had an affair. He covered it up by having the husband of the woman he had the affair with killed in battle and thought he got away with it. And then he was confronted by Nathan the prophet. And when he saw his sin for what it was, David was grieved and he repented. And he wrote in Psalm 51, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. That was repentant. David, he was grieved for his sin, but he also was asking for help to change. He was seeking the strength to live rightly. He was seeking the forgiveness from 
the decisions that he had made that had crushed him. And sometimes we think the closer we grow to Jesus, the more mature we are, the less sin we'll have, and there's going to be less clutter. But sometimes, and I've found, the closer we get, the more we can see our sin and the more things that God wants to work on and the things we might not have identified as sin before we can see that that's really not pleasing to God and I need to change that and turn that over to the Lord as well. And sometimes we can have a worldly guilt. And I think that's often what people will have is a, is a worldly guilt. That there is a type of repentance or confession because of the consequences as we've talked about, that, well, I'm sorry I got caught, or, or what this is going to lead to. I'm sorry for where I've ended up because I did this. Or even in most religious systems, well, I've made God mad, and so now I've got to get back on His good side. And so if I do this, I will make God happy, and I can somehow earn His favor back. Or I think one of the most common ones is we just have shame for the sin that we have and that even when we identify with it, and so we have to change something to not sinful so we don't feel bad, but we really can't change that. That deep inside we'll always know what's right and what's wrong. And so there's a worldly sorrow, a worldly grief for our sin. But gospel sorrow, gospel repentance is in 1 Corinthians 7. It says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. He's saying when we're grieved in a godly way, it leads us to Him. We find salvation. We find freedom. He says, worldly sorrow for what we've done brings death. If, if we're just sorry apart from Jesus and don't take into consideration the cross, it, it doesn't matter. It leads to death. And so we can understand through the gospel that we sin, but that is not what defines us. That God sent His Son to take the punishment that we deserve, to take the guilt that we should feel so that we could be free because He loves us and wants to forgive us. They said He did that while we were still sinners, that He loves us even in our sin. But He wants us to be free, and He leads us to freedom from what we've done. And leads us to freedom in the future by changing our heart and our minds so we can live for Him. So how do we have a repentant heart and not put it off to tomorrow? The first one is this, is own our sin as sin. Another thing, it's not popular to say what we do is a sin anymore. It's a mistake, you know, like you were coloring and you accidentally went outside the lines and it just happened. Or, or it's an accident and I wasn't planning it, but... You know, it just happened. But we have to know our sin is a decision. It's an action. It's not a mistake that many of the things, you know, an accident is if we slip on the ice. But when we do something wrong, it's sin. And we have to be willing to own that and identify it. The second is to confess. Scripture over and over tells believers to confess our sin. It says in 1 John, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. So the believer is told not just to own it, and when we own it, we confess it to God. I've had some say, well, do believers really need to repent then? Because it does say to confess, and Scripture clearly says to confess, but when we give our life to Christ, we've dedicated ourselves to repentance. 
in that one-time decision, but also in the actions that come afterwards. So that confession, it should lead to repentance, to change. And the third is this, and this is the tough one. This is the one we might say, well, I'll do that tomorrow, and that is go back to those we've hurt and deal with them patiently. You know, if we have someone that we can think of, you know, my anger or my words or my attitude or I did something that cheated them out of something, uh, apologize. You know, Zacchaeus did what he could. He made restitution because there was a way he could make up for it. But if there's a wound we can try and heal, we should. But that doesn't mean we should expect. If we apologize, they're just ready to forgive. They may bring it up. They may be upset. But we deal with them patiently. Fourth is this, don't forget to get help. You know, that's why God has placed us in the body of Christ for our own growth, that we need other believers, that we all struggle, that we all have sin and can't be shocked when someone confesses to us or we confess that there's a sin because we all do. You know, James 5 says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So if there's a struggle with sin and there's a desire to repent, you find another brother or sister in Christ that, that you can trust, that you can confide in, or someone from your Sunday school class or your women's group or your men's group, whatever it is, and you find someone that you can confess to and will pray with you and for you. Because that's what it says, that we may be healed, that we may be made whole is what that word means. And the last one is this, remain humble and teachable. Usually, you know, if something's pointed out to us, we're defensive. But we have to be willing to listen, not just to others, but the Holy Spirit as He helps us to mature and examine our lives. For more information about Pomona Christian Church, please visit us at PomonaChristian.com or find us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Pomona Christian. Christian.